welcome to Sister Speak Fringe, where we discuss season two of the Fox TV series Fringe from a sister's point of view. I'm Sister J. And I'm Sister K. And welcome to episode 14. Let's get started. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing already? Because <clears throat> that just, you know, that's probably not appropriate for this one. We are so late and behind. On, yes, we are. We are. Terrible. We apologize, apologize, apologize. But this, this episode we're we're getting ready or you're getting ready to discuss was aired in January. Yes. So But okay. as people know who listen to our other podcasts, we had some life get in the way. <clears throat> and then when we were gonna get back into podcasting, I got sick again. As y'all remember from last summer when we were doing Big Brother yeah. and True Blood, I got bronchitis and couldn't talk. Well, I don't have bronchitis, but I have basically the same thing that started my bronchitis, which is a sinus infection, and it always seems to go into my throat, chest, and then I start, you know, I can't talk long without coughing. You'll have bronchitis pretty soon. No, I'm on drugs. Okay, that's good. I'm almost done with the drugs, and I still have the cough. That's my only concern, but other than that, I am okay. So, every once in a while, I'm going to try to turn my head if I feel like I have to cough. I don't want to stop every time because we'll be stopping umpteen thousand times. So I apologize in advance for all the coughing, but I we definitely wanted to do a couple of podcasts. We've gotten some emails from people saying, hey, are y'all coming back? And we are. We've just let life and my illness again get in the way. So Sister Jake, quit laughing at me. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, I can't do nothing because you're the technical person. So, you know. Anyway. Well, and it's not any good if you do the podcast alone. I mean, that's what makes it nice is if we're both doing it together. Yeah, okay. Come on. Let's... So anyway, so what we're going to do, will you quit rushing? <laughs> Come on. Lord. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to do a shorter recap than we usually do. That's also another thing that we've kind of gotten behind on is doing the recaps is we usually do a really intense, labor intense recap. And it's just not working for our schedule. So we're going to try to make it short. Right. So I am going to recap episode 14, The Bishop Revival. And I'm going to try to jump around and make it shorter than normal. So please bear with me. And try not to cough. We start out at a wedding in Brookline, Massachusetts. A Jewish wedding. Okay. Haven't gotten there yet, but thank you. A Jewish wedding. <coughs> Excuse me. And we see a family member, which we later find out is a brother of the groom, uh, videotaping, you know, to, to keep a record of the wedding. And the groomsman's nervous. The mother of the groom goes and looks at the uh, daughter-in-law and, and tells her how beautiful she looks. And then we go into the main um, vestibule where they're going to do the ceremony. <clears throat> and we see old grandma, old Jewish grandma. And she notices a guy that looks kind of out of place at the back of the room. And she's like, who is that? And one of her grandchildren or daughter, whoever, says, I think, I don't know who it is. It must be on Shelly's side of the family. So she kind of, you know, doesn't think anything about it. Um, We cut back to the groom and he looks like he's having a little panic attack, an asthma attack. So they're trying to find his inhaler. So we go back to the main vestibule and Nana, or whatever they call her, is still looking at the man and says, it can't be, it can't be true. 
she she looks at the guy and he kind of looks at her and she points at him and says you you oh no it can't be it can't be him but it is you so as she's yelling all this she starts kind of choking holding her neck turning blue um wheezing <clears throat> and everybody's trying to calm her down the man's just looking at her next thing we know the rest of the family starts choking and wheezing and coughing and they start falling to the ground the mom she says someone called 911 she's not choking just certain people are choking the man <clears throat> excuse me looks at all of them and all this happening and just walks calmly out of the room we next see Olivia arriving at the scene and she's met by a detective who's helping to investigate everything. He's telling her that 14 people died. Um, <clears throat> they found 14 dead people so far. And as they walk to the entrance, they see Walter driving up with Peter in their station wagon and Walter's driving erratically and Peter's hanging on for dear life. <clears throat> the cute scene of this is that Walter's talking about weddings and how he remembers his wedding to Peter's mom. And how he still has his tuxedo and purple never goes out of style. Peter's kind of laughing and and um, <clears throat> and uh, Walter says, maybe one day you can borrow my tux. And he says, maybe sooner than you think. And Peter's like, who are you talking about? And Walter says, Agent Dunham, don't you think she'll call me mom? Or excuse me, call me dad one day? <clears throat> and that was kind of a cute scene. Okay, so at this point they reach Olivia and the detective and Walter tells Peter how nice Olivia looks and she's like okay they go in <clears throat> and they realize that all the bodies that they found have been asphyxiated looks like you know by something um <clears throat> Olivia notices that all the victims are on the groom side and they all have a hypothesis that <clears throat> excuse me they might have come in contact with something that they were allergic to prior to the wedding Olivia notices a tattoo on Nana's arm and they find out that she's a holocaust survivor <clears throat> excuse me Olivia and Peter search the other parts of the church and they hear a noise once they are on the second floor they go to investigate and they see the groom David fall out of the room gasping for air Olivia yells for a medic and they notice the inhaler they try to use that on him but he dies within seconds <clears throat> back at Walter's lab him and Astrid are trying to find out um what happened, and they noticed that all the victims are descendants of Nana, Eva, Stoller, and realized that all of the people that were blood-related to her died. <clears throat> Walter cuts into David's body and finds out that the blood is blue, which means it definitely asphyxiated. <clears throat> he thinks that they suffocated from the inside out. He um, then tries David's inhaler himself and says that it's perfectly normal, but he thinks the inhaler inhibited whatever this toxin was and helped him survive longer than the rest. Back at the wedding location, Olivia is interviewing Mrs. Stoller, David's mom, who did not die. And um, they're trying to interview her to see if she recognized the guy that Nana saw. <clears throat> Peter's walking around the room smelling all the candles and notices one's different. Uh, Mrs. Stoller tells him that they're all jasmine. And he says, well, this one smells like cinnamon. I don't, you know, and she's like, hmm, I don't know what that's about. So he takes it back to the lab, <coughs> excuse me, and Walter examines Candle, and Olivia gives Astrid a video to try to identify the guy who was in the room. Walter um, um, tests the candle and, and finds out that it, it is a toxin, a variant of hydrogen cyanide, 
and that when it's heated, it dispersed it into the air. Olivia is wondering why it only killed some of the guests and Walter thinks about chemical weapons that, <clears throat> excuse me, the Nazis were working on that could target a specific person in the crowd or enemy in the crowd. Walter seems to think that this was a perfect um, experiment or laboratory experiment because the Stallers were the target group and everyone else at the wedding was the control group. And he says if he is correct and this was an experiment, it will happen again because all scientists try to recreate their results. <clears throat> Excuse me. We next see this stranger, who we still don't know his name, in a coffee shop ordering a cup of tea, and he keeps asking for very, very hot water. He sits next to a table with a woman and her daughter, <clears throat> and they're talking about her school, and he, he starts talking to them and puts a vial of some kind of liquid into his cup. The woman says it smells good like cinnamon, and then we see the contents of the cup bubbling. The next scene we see is a crime scene at the same coffee shop. Broyles, Peter, Olivia, and Walter <clears throat> arrive, and Broyles tells them there's nine victims, and they all suffocated like the people at the wedding. This time, they're not related to each other, though, but they determined that um, the target was people with brown eyes. It seemed like everyone with brown eyes died. <clears throat> Walter um, then notices a cup of hot liquid, and they find out it was, it was dispersed in a hot cup of tea. As they prepare to leave the scene, the same mysterious guy notices Walter and comments to one of the cops at the perimeter that he looks just like his father. <clears throat> Back at the lab, Walter shows Olivia and Peter the molecular structure of the toxin and how it can be customized to target any set of people with similar genetic characteristics. He notices a carbon signature of the chemist who created it, and um, Peter notices that it looks like a seahorse which triggers Walter's memory of his father, Dr. Robert Bishop, who created a formula while working as an Allied spy for the Germans during World War II. <clears throat> Walter tries to find an old book, um, or some old books that his dad used to put his, um, what do you call it? His secrets, the trade secrets and formulas. Well, grandfa Peter's grandfather. Right, that Peter's grandfather would write into in books mm -hmm. all of these little secrets and formulas and things just so he could smuggle them into the U.S. And he um, gave them to Walter. Right. He gave him the washer, Walter, and he's trying to find them. <clears throat> so Peter stops him and says, well, uh, if they're those books that were in German, I sold them about 10 years ago for money. Mm-hmm. So Walter looks devastated by this and said, those are my books. But Peter said, I sold them. Um, we see <clears throat> someone walking into Walter and Peter's house and going into their fridge and grabbing an apple, eating it. And then um, this person takes the sweater off of a chair. We later find out it's the mysterious guy. I'm calling <laughs> the perpetrator. The perpetrator. The perp. Yeah, the perp. Okay. So next we see Peter and Olivia tracing... Um, the books to, to try to find out who purchased the books to see if they can track down who the killer is. Um, they go to this old bookstore where Peter sold them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the bookstore owner, uh, sorry, he um, has good records and, and says that he sold them to Eric Franco. They trace this name to an apartment and when they go in, it looks like it's full of Nazi paraphernalia. It turns out that Eric Franco is an artist, and he uses all of this stuff in his art pieces. Um, and basically took uh, Walter's books and tore them out page by page to create art in some of the books. <clears throat> P 
Peter um, deduces that the killer is trying to continue the Nazi agenda with the toxin. Um, we next see the killer, perpetrator, concocting something with uh, Bunsen burners and stuff and putting it into one of those, and I don't know the name of these little cans that you use for catering. What do you call those little... They're those uh, candles. Forno. Um, They're warmers. Yeah. You put put under chafing dishes. Chafing dish warmers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never could figure out the name of it. Okay. Um, He um, is putting something into one of those little cans, takes it into this old rundown part of town next to this homeless guy and lights it. The homeless guy, the smoke comes out, the homeless guy falls to the ground dead. And that's in him. They trace the makers of this... um, of the chemical that was in the toxin to two pharmaceutical companies and one residence. So when they arrive to the residence, the killer, the perp is in the basement making a fake badge and packing up a box full of those little chafing dish warmers. He hears them coming to the house, but he um, puts his beaker filled with some kind of liquid onto a burner and heats it and goes out of a hidden entrance in his basement. Um, at this point, Olivia and them go down into the basement with their masks on and find a full lab um, and formulas. Each little formula vial is used to single out brown hair, green eyes, skin tone, hair color, <clears throat> excuse me, anything. Um, they determine that their air is clean, so they take off their masks. And Peter uh, finds the remnants of the making of an ID in the trash. Peter notices Walter's sweater and around this time Walter starts choking. Um, Olivia notices the beaker that's on the burner knocks it over and they all rush Walter outside to give him oxygen. Of course Walter lives and Peter recognizes the logo on the ID cover that he tried to make and so they head over to the World Tolerance Conference which is what the logo was from and then we see the killer walking into the conference as a caterer with a box of these chafing candle things. <coughs> Excuse me. Walter um, is really determined to get his sweater back. So he goes back down in the basement to get his sweater and looks around as the rest of the FBI is l- looking at everything over. And he starts concocting some stuff. <clears throat> Astrid comes to tell him that he's gonna, she's going to take him home. He says, no, I want to go to the conference. I want to go with Peter and Olivia or where they're at. To stop this person, and so she it takes him. It's a performing arts center. Okay, um, so at this point, Peter and Olivia arrive, and they notice there's candles on every table, but nobody's choking. Mm-hmm. So they're like, "It must not be the candles." <clears throat> Peter notices someone about to light one of the the candles on under the chafing tray, and stops her. As they look around, they hear somebody choking and coughing, and <clears throat> run over to the guy, and it's actually the perpetrator, the killer. Mm-hmm. As he dies, he says Bischoff, traitor, mm-hmm. and looks up, and we see Walter standing on the second floor, dispersing the toxin smoke in this little contraption that he has. Walter explains to Broyles that he used the killer's DNA to target him using his own toxin. He tells Broyles to press charges if he must, but he doesn't regret what he did at all. Walter explains to Olivia that the killer corrupted his father's work and that family is very important to him and that there's nothing he wouldn't do to protect his family. He then looks at Peter that's sitting across the room. 
Peter brings Walter later on the rest of his books, his father's books that were not destroyed. Um, he tells Walter that he went and got them from the artist, everything that he could find. Uh, Walter shows Peter a picture of his grandfather. Um, and then Peter questions how the killer was able to get the formula if they weren't from the books, if he didn't get it from the books. Mm -hmm. Walter then puts down, down the picture um, of his father that shows the killer worked in the lab with his dad. And that is the end of the episode. Okay. Woo! -hoo. That, that was, was a good. That was kind of quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's quicker than we usually yeah. do. Yeah. Well, I thought the best part of the whole episode was the information disclosed about Walter's grand, uh, Walter's father. That, uh, I like Robert that too. Bishop. Yeah. And I was sitting there thinking because at first when they started with the Holocaust thing and the Nazi thing, I thought, oh Lord, I'm so tired of hearing this bull. But what? Well, that's that was my opinion. I get real tired of storylines on uh, 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 in that area, but it was really good how they wove in Walter's father's work, work. like because um, is this the first stuff. time we hear about Walter's father yep. being a scientist? Also, yeah, yep. I thought and so actually too. that scene actually I thought they did a real good job because the perpetrator is obviously German. You know, he's obviously <clears throat> German. He's dressed. Mm -hmm. The way he dresses and his little glasses is from the 40s. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that. Yeah. Um, but I thought that one, uh, one of the most interesting scenes was at the scene of the cafe. What you, what you skipped over was that the German guy, he asked a police officer who was keeping the crowd back, uh, who was that over there? And he said, oh, that's, that's Dr. Walter Bishop. And he says, that's when he says, oh, he looks just like his father. Yeah, I said that, I thought. Well, no, you didn't say that. But okay. anyway, but my thing is, when I didn't realize until Walter showed Peter at the very end the picture and the perpetrator was in the lab with the grandfather, then he's from the alternate universe or no. <clears throat> he's a shapeshifter or something. I think he's from the alternate universe. I now, think what so too. I didn't say at the time I was doing the recap, <clears throat> excuse me, is when he, when we see this hand person walking through their apartment, going into the fridge, he looks at everything, then he grabs an apple. Now, what do we say about fruit? Yep. yep. People fruit. who are traveling through that alternate universe, they it seems fruit. like they eat a lot of fruit. Yep. And it's and it's not like overt, but in every episode when we have the shapeshifters, You're right. Peter, which we already know is from there. Um, who was the other guy? I can't think of the other guy that from last season. Um, they all eat fruit. Right. And when he grabbed that fruit, I'm like, and it's you know, either some, it's either Peter because at the time we didn't know, and Curtis, <clears throat> Curtis, whatever his his Smith. Yeah, his other character's name yeah. was he, he ate eat fruit. fruit. The mm -hmm. uh, the guy whose head they reattached was eating fruit. Newton. Newton. So, yep. so I yeah. knew when he picked up the fruit, and then yep. later on I realized that he was the guy Wait. who walked in there. I was like, okay, he's either from he's in the alternate universe or something because yeah. I didn't catch the fruit <clears> part, <throat> but I sure caught it at the end because I thought, oh, you know, he's from the alternate. Uh, 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 universe so he's the alternate german perpetrator because he looked exactly the same exactly the same another thing i thought was really interesting is that when walter first disclosed that his father had had written all his formulas and stuff in code in these books 
and Peter told him that he sold them. Well, you know, when they went to the artist, the only reason the artist gave them his collage and the artwork with the pages on it <clears> and <throat> the books is because Olivia's with the FBI. Right. And she said, you know, we really need them. But when he gave them to Walter and, and tried to apologize, Walter very distinctly said, apology not accepted, and he walked on off. Well, I thought that was good. Well, when they were buying, or excuse me, when they were in the artist's um, house, <clears throat> excuse me, and talking about the, all the books and what he did with it, mm-hmm. when they were leaving, Olivia said, you didn't, did you really sell your books for money? Because you knew these meant a lot to your father. Right. And he's like, well, I'm not proud of it, but no, I didn't really need the money. Right. Basically, he was doing it because he was mean. pissed. Yeah. That Walter wasn't in his life. Yeah. And he said, I've changed since then. I'm not proud of it, but that's what I did. So that was good. At that the was end, a really good scene. When he got all the books back, and then Walter was pleased and, and, you know, did. And of course, he said again he was sorry, you know, but that was good. Yeah, I really liked that too. Yeah. I thought it was a pretty, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Uh, you know, as far as the action scenes, uh, the best scene was, you know, when the perpetrator was choking and he's pointing to Walter and he's up on the, he's up Balcony. on the second floor, uh-huh. you know, shooting that smoke down on the, on the guy. So Walter that, said, that was bad. Forget this. Yeah. <clears throat> we gonna get this dude. But you know what? Of. When he stayed in that basement and he saw that man got my sweater, he looked really mad. He was. He was mad, and I knew he was cooking up something, he, but mm-hmm. but but I didn't know how he was going to get it to the guy. See, so that was really good. That was really good. Okay. Is that all we want to talk about on this episode? Well, yeah. I mean, that's all I got to say about it. Yeah, I mean, the only the parts that I really liked were the little teasing <clears throat> scene between him and Peter when they were driving to the scene, and him telling Peter how Olivia. He might marry Olivia one day. Well, I thought the best part of that scene was when Walter smashed into the trash can. And he smashed into the trash can because he was driving. Because, you know, He's he never drives. Mm-hmm. And Peter couldn't even get out the door. Yeah. So he had to get out on the driver's side. I thought that was the best part of the whole scene. I do not want to see Peter and Olivia I, together. No, no, I don't either. But I like that scene because it was cute. How Walter was saying, do you think she'll call me mom or dad? I don't know why I want to say mom. Do you think she'll call me dad? And Peter's like, who are you talking about? Who? Olivia. (laughs) He's like, oh, you look so lovely, Olivia. Doesn't she, Peter? Mm -mm. You know, that kind of thing was cute. Excuse me. Mm -mm -mm. But, yeah, I mean, the episode was good. And it was one of the ones that I could stand to watch without averting my eyes too much. Well, yeah. and, and And I really thought it was cool the way they did the effects of... Nana, when she was choking, mm-hmm. she actually turned blue, green. Her, her, it, you could see the veins coming All through her. Mm-hmm. It was really <coughs> cool. All of them did. Now we had a couple of email, um, emails, of course, from back in the. Oh yeah, day. these are old. <clears throat> but um, I just wanted to comment on them. Okay. One was from Lan. Okay. And he or she says. When, oh, when are you going to do the rest of the podcast for Fringe? Mm -hmm. I just discovered your podcast and fell instantly in love with you guys. Mm -hmm. It's so great that I can listen to a Fringe podcast without all the techno babble you get with a lot of the other Fringe podcasts. That's true. I don't listen to any others except for, 
Oh my gosh, I forgot. I have name. listened to some others, and yeah, they get they get way they try to get into all this scientific crap. That's not why we podcast. We podcast friends because we love it. Well, some people like that though. Yeah, well, you some know. people like to know if some of the sciences could happen. Yeah, well. <clears throat> okay, they go on to say, "You guys are refreshing, funny, and obvious, obviously love the show. Keep up the great work, and please, please, please." Do the remaining episodes in this current season, season love, Land. Thank you, Land, for that email. And yeah, you know, like we said at the beginning, we <laughs> we're just slowly behind, working through it. But we, we will definitely finish out the season of Friends. So, yeah. yeah. I think if we keep our recaps short, yeah, we'll be we're good. We're going to have shorter episodes so, so we can, mm-hmm. you know, talk about it and stuff. But, okay. And our you. next, <coughs> excuse me, Fringe, podca- uh, fringe comment was for Mr. J. Hey, Mr. J. And this, he's talking, he goes back. He says, I'm still watching Fringe thanks to you and I'm loving it. I wish I could say something intelligent about it, but I'm always lost on this show. Excuse me. I just enjoy the ride and steal my theories from you. I will say this. Could Fringe be any, excuse me, could Fringe be any more nasty? Why are they all the time eating over the dead bodies and such? Ew. Gross. I love it, though. (laughs) I agree with you about people washing their hands after the bathroom, by the way. You're 100% right. The other day, I saw a co-worker leave the bathroom without washing his hands, and then he went right over to my space and picked up one of my pins, and I thought of your conversation on the last French (laughs) podcast. I was like, why don't you go on ahead and keep that one? Nasty, nasty. Yes, Lord. And then he goes on to talk about some of our other podcasts, and he says, "Love, Mr. J." Well, thank you, Mr. J. Thank you. That was from way back in the right or before our little. Well, you know, Fringe though has a reason for being nasty, and I can tell you that real professionals in in the real world. Professional people who are who do autopsies and who uh, cut up cadavers and this, not the other. They don't have a queasy stomach, so it is nothing to them. Where else are they going to have their lunch or their meals and stuff? So the break room. Whenever they incorporate that kind of uh, activity with, especially with Walter and Peter, I just think it's hilarious because. You know, I know real people who do these types of jobs, and yeah, they just did. They don't see nothing wrong with it. I, it grosses me out too, but nasty. Hey, you know, I mean that that is a little realistic for some people. So, anyway, nasty. thanks for that email. Thank you, Mr. J. Okay, if you'd like to send us an email, it is sisterspeak at gmail Our voicemail line is nine seven two six nine two seven three four one, and our website is sistersinterview.com. That's it for now. I'm Sister K. And I'm Sister J. Stay tuned.